And just a disclaimer, we are not doctors. Information shared in this podcast is not meant as medical advice. We do not intend to diagnose, treat, or cure. We intend to delineate knowledge for educational purposes only. situated I put two bourbon cherries in my drink nice have you actually tasted the cherries like, no how oh, well at the end of this though yeah is that cranberry mm-hmm and bourbon mm-hmm we have bourbon I think we're about out but <laughs> I'm making do with what we got Oh, what did you mm-hmm. use? Um, Since we somehow have options now. I used the, what's it called? The the veteran-owned black black patch. Oh, the one you got the from black, Michael? Yeah, the one I got from your brother. Yeah, yay. Yep. But the, I ain't putting my Basil Hayden nor my Old oh, Forester no. in there. That's, I need, they're all good. Every whiskey I have is great, but some are my sipping whiskeys and right. some, some go-in things. Um, but we haven't been here in a while. No, we haven't. <laughs> um, I keep meaning to make an Instagram post about us taking time off and then just like not because I'm taking time off. Um, but yeah, we, we took a little holiday hiatus. Hashtag mental health. Yeah. Um, maybe next year we'll plan the holidays out a little bit better and like backlog. Is it making funny noises? I'm getting a slight buzzing sensation, which sometimes can be good. It's gone now. It's gone. Okay. We're good now. Okay. <sighs> but yeah, it's... We're here. We're here. We're here. I'm excited. This is like a piece of my heart has been missing for the last week and a half. Yeah. It was a bummer to not record, but... We had a lot going on. Yeah, we had a lot going on. And... But I'm going to pick right up where we left off. So, But how was your Christmas? Christmas was really nice. Yeah, it was. It wasn't too busy this year. It wasn't. And I think it's because we allowed ourselves to kind of have a break in space and boundaries in certain areas. And I think that really helped a lot. It did. I feel Um, refreshed. Yeah. It has been cold. Like time-wise... Financial wise, like we just gave ourselves a lot of grace this holiday season and it was, it was really nice. The kids had a great time and that just brought a lot of joy seeing them have, have a good time with what I would consider very little, but still just really blessed. Yeah. It's been a cold Christmas. Golly, yes, it was (laughs) cold. Nice. Just ignore needed me. Needed some keep of talking. my uh, warming herbs to get this through. Ah. <laughs> I drank a lot of cinnamon this past weekend. I enjoyed the ever loving crap. No, it got down to like twelve. The it feels was like was perfect. zero. I felt. And I know I'm not one to complain because there were areas where it was like feels like negative forty, um, but. There's a reason I don't live in those places because even when it's not negative 40, it's still really cold. I don't like the cold. 
I, I love it. Cold doesn't like me. So here's what um, marriage is: is somebody loves the cold and somebody hates the cold, and then you marry each other. Because mm-hmm. that's what we've done. I would totes do the whole Alaska thing. No. I'm cool with that. No. Because I don't know. I just I felt it makes me feel better when it's cold outside. But our last three days um, of Alabama winter was nice. It was good to see it coming. Today was really pretty. Today and was, yesterday it's was really hot nice. again. It's yeah, supposed to the, warm. The it's going to be in the upper seventies in the end stupid. of the week. <laughs> that is a sixty degree difference in a matter yeah. of days. And I bet you we're all going to end up sick by the end of this week. Like our sinuses mm-hmm. aren't going to understand what is going on. I eat so many herbs. I'm not getting sick. Sometimes you can't combat that climate change, in though. The government made that up. No, not <laughs> not that climate change. Uh, and literal yeah, climate yeah. changing rapidly in a couple days. Yeah, it's the yeah. Alabama weather. Weather patterns. Mm. Yeah, and I'm not. You know, the more I've studied, the more climate change makes sense because if our ecosystems are rapidly degrading and changing obviously your ecosystems which is what drives your climate Mm -hmm. is going to alter that but the issue is it became politicized so now nobody cares because your politicians are shoving it down your throat kind of i mean yeah and it's cyclical it is going to do that anyway it's always done it worse obviously by the way we've affected ecosystems but i mean you have the ice age you've got just the rotation of yes. climate is going to yeah. do what it's going to do. I don't I don't think the solution to climate change is electric vehicles and supporting your local politician. I think just simply plant native plants and don't ruin the environment and right. Play a play yeah. Um <laughs> the things that we symbiotic part in your ecosystem. Yes, the, the things that we promote is the best option at keeping the environment yeah, in its best health. But also, the earth going to do what the earth going to do. Yep. And I think it's kind of crazy to think that us humans have enough power. That's what I'm saying. To yeah. magnetically affect We've been and ru- cause the end of the earth. <laughs> We've you been know? ruining the environment for <laughs> thousands of years. I mean, I don't see humans as a whole slowing down at that hobby anytime soon. So. But we do our part. We try to get some more people on board. and We'll just have our little podcast and ignore the politicians. I'm okay with that's, that. That's what I do. Come on, what some... was my mom talking about yesterday? And she's like, you didn't hear about that? And I'm like, I don't do politics. Yeah, no. And she was like, that's not politics. And I'm like, you're talking about legislation changing. That, <laughs> that is, is literally politics. politics. Now, I had somebody... Uh, <laughs> In one of it my might gr- be good politics because I'm glad it, whatever it is is changing, but no, I don't keep up with it. I don't expose myself to it enough to let it affect me. Yeah. Apparently, when you go into North Carolina, they automatically send you like this text message. I don't remember getting it. Maybe we did. I don't know. But somebody mm-hmm. posted about it, about getting like COVID updates to your phone and how to be safe with COVID. And they're still doing that in North Carolina. Anyway. I think I remember getting yeah, some maybe. kind of notification during COVID, like when we yeah. went in during But then COVID, somebody's but... like, well, Jared, that's why you need to move to South Carolina instead of North Carolina. 
I'm like, if I move to North Carolina, I'm going to be so far up a mountain <laughs> that it's not going to matter. No. I'm not. And from what I hear, the legislation in South Carolina is not better in no, certain ways. No. So, I mean, it is. I don't it is care. What it is. I don't is. care. Yeah. So, that's where I stand. <laughs> Jared, what's your political opinion? I don't, don't care. care. I don't care. Where does Karen get you? A Karen. Yeah, I saw that coming. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Yeah, yeah. What'd you get for Christmas? Booze. And Boobs? the world's, I wish, the world's <laughs> most comfortable pajama sweatpants. Nice. You did good. Thank you. They're amazing. Thank you. Uh, I'm most... My favorite gift that I got you is the uh, Dutch oven. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did get a cast iron Dutch oven to replace my ceramic. We wasn't going there. Uh, we wasn't going Dutch there. oven. My Pioneer Woman red that matches my kitchen Dutch oven that was enamel coated. That was also a Christmas present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So every and year, yet another it's pot really, that you've broken. It has been a tradition for me to replace kitchen items for yep. Christmas. Yeah. It has. Yeah, like. Almost every year. Because I have a reputation so of... So my Christmas present is you replacing stuff you break. Yeah, I have a reputation of not being friendly to kitchen items. No. But this one's cast iron with no enamel. So there's not much you can really do to screw that up. And if you do screw it up, you just grind it down and start over. <laughs> That's why I dig cast iron. Mm-hmm. Um, so anywho. And then my brother got me some... Amethyst jewelry that he made. Mm hmm. That I gotta. Oh, he made that? Mm -hmm. I didn't know he made it. That's cool. Yeah, Jesse said he made it back in like July. Oh, wow. So it's just been sitting and soaking all his house energy. Yeah, I was just upset he didn't make any eggnog. Yeah, he usually does make the eggnog. Oh, yeah. We, ha we had zero. Nope. But he did get us bourbon, so. Yep, we got bourbon. Go we had a fun game of uh, alcohol themed Dirty Santa. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. So, anywho. That I deeply misunderstood the assignment. <laughs> you got it right. You, <laughs> you got it right. My mom said, hey, let's do alcoholic Dirty Santa. And I said, okay. And I thought, it's no fun to just do a bottle of wine or a bottle of bourbon. I'll make... A sangria kit with a cheap bottle of wine and all the fixings in this $15 canister. So I was within the budget. Oh, yeah. It was really, it was nice, really nice It was really nice. And then I made a hot toddy kit that my daddy was really excited yeah. to get. That was awesome. And I got chalky peppermint sticks. <laughs> you did. And I am so happy. In fact, I'm going to suck on one right now. You had to add the sound effects. What? They can't see me. What a microphone. Oh, my God. Are they really the chalky ones? Oh, yeah. They're perfect. Oh, no, thank you. You don't want to share my peppermint with me? Nope. Okay. Your loss. Okay. Your loss. Well, hey, uh, uh, what are you talking about or not? You don't know? <laughs> I asked, didn't I? <laughs> no. <laughs> Once again, I plan to open the episode with a song and then completely forget. You didn't even tell me this time. No, I didn't. It was going to be all me. So I'll give you a hint. 
on what I'm... You have to know some sort of Christmas music, so we're going to see just how much you know. I saw Mommy kissing Santa Claus. Oh, we're doing blackberries. What? Or What's mistletoe. The What's the next? Mistletoe. Thank you. Yeah. Good job. Good I was, job. Oh, you were supposed to sing the next line. I, I don't know that. Underneath the mistletoe last night. Good job. Mistletoes. Mm-hmm. The original foot fetish. Why did you say blackberries? I was trying to make... I was trying to pull something out of left oh. field. <laughs> Went over my head. Yeah, I was trying to throw you off. You did. Good job. So yeah, I'm talking about <sighs> mistletoe because it is still Christmas time and it's supposed to be my Christmas episode. And I'm still, since we didn't do Christmas week, I'm still using the jingles and the intro music. Yeah, it's still Christmas yeah. time. So it's still Christmas episode. Christmas was the other night, but that's okay. So Let's anyway, do it. Yeah, mistletoe. And I wanted to include, again, like I've been doing, kind of why mistletoe, mistletoe? mistletoe is included in our Christmas holiday and kind of um there's a lot of lore behind mistletoe yeah I remember as well as medicinal properties but there's a lot of lore too it's really cool I've seen pictures from like early 1900s in like Times Square like guys with like just bundles of mistletoe selling it on the streets and stuff that's cool like it's always been kind of a staple for oh yeah for a long long time so it goes back um, like to Druids oh, and ancient Greece. That's cool. Like those kind of, wow. that's where we're going back. Um, but there are, are um, almost 1500 species of mistletoe. How many? 1500. That's a bunch. Right. And I don't think we ever realized that because it's just like one standard plant, like little ba- boughs that we... That's crazy. They look like they're in it. Yeah, I know. We're, we'll I'm... post uh, the picture on Instagram of yeah. uh, these. Those aren't men. Those are children. Those are t- that's a teenage boy at least. Yeah, holding like a whole limb. I'm pretty <laughs> sure the limb itself is not mistletoe. We'll get to it in a second, but okay. And I'll tell you why I don't believe that's. Sure, they got. Oh, so yeah. they got the limb. It's just the carrier. Then it's like tied. Uh Sort of, yeah. Okay. So there are almost 1,500 species Mm -hmm. of um, mistletoe going over like three different plant families. Um, But they all come from the the sandalwood order. So they're descendant of of sandalwood. I've heard of sandalwood. Um, And then, so you know, sandalwood is, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point in this podcast is a parasitic plant. Hmm. Um, it grows, it attaches to the roots of the tree. So mistletoe is a descendant of sandalwood. Um, we're specifically talking about European mistletoe, which is what we see in Christmas celebrations and Christmas decor is specifically uh, viscum album or European mistletoe. And it was pretty much the only mistletoe native to the British Isles, whereas most of those other species um, grew in, like, tropical areas. Like, even Australia had, like, 85 different varieties of mistletoe. Hmm. Um, And there is a a Northern American uh, mistletoe. It's called the Eastern or Oak Mistletoe, 
For dendron serotinum. Or dendrons. Yeah. And they all have similar properties. Um, but the one used for Christmas specifically is the European mistletoe. Um, so, like I said, mistletoe is hemiparasitic evergreen shrub, um, which means it doesn't solely rely on the host tree. Mm -hmm. It um, has chlorophyll and goes through photosynthesis um, to get its sugars and stuff as well. So it's only half parasitic. Um, so it's a evergreen shrub with small white berries that can grow in up to 10 feet across host trees. Wow. Like a 10 foot ball of mistletoe on the host tree. And I'll pull up a picture of what it look, what a tree infested with mistletoe would look like. Yeah, I can't say I've ever seen that. And then you'll understand what I was saying about. Oh, yeah. The, okay. They were probably holding the limb that it grew on. Yeah. That's what it looked like. It looks uh, like from a distance, it acts like greenbrier, like down in uh -huh. the woods. If you go walk through the woods now, it's more noticeable because all the trees are died back because yeah. it's wintertime. And I'll post a picture of that as well because um, it's very cool looking. Yeah, that's neato. Um, so mistletoe especially loves apple trees. That's oh, its favorite okay. host plant, but it's not super picky. Um, and a lot of the like mineral content and um, stuff in mistletoe will vary on the host, the host plant. plant. Right. Uh -huh. um, so it spreads prolifically, uh, especially through bird droppings. Which is typical for yeah. any berry type seed um, to be spread through bird feces. However, these seeds have developed from the sandalwood. And so the mistletoe developed berries so they could be spread by the birds. Yeah. And like I said, sandalwood roots to the roots of the tree. Mm -hmm. But I just showed you a picture of mistletoe on a tree and they're not on the roots. They're growing around yeah. the branches. Um, so in that sense, you have to think that these seeds must be airborne. This doesn't grow up the tree. It grows yeah. on the tree on branch. The tree. It's rooted into the bark. So I was here reading all this and I'm like, how did it get up there? How did the seed did go get through on... the roots and shoot it out somewhere? Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, no. So the seeds are also very sticky. Um, which has a reference we'll touch on later, but the seeds are very sticky. So even after going through the bird's digestive system, they still have this sticky substance and they stick to the bird's butt oh. or the feet. And then so the bird has to, uh... has to sit down and scratch it all off and ends up scraping the seeds off while perched on a tree branch. So that's where they start. And so that's where they start. Nice. Um, which is just an interesting Nature's cool. Na right. Yeah. Um, and so thus, mistletoe became airborne, mm -hmm. so to speak. It grows up in the sky. Um, and that's that's the main difference between mistletoe and sandalwood. The name mistletoe comes from Anglo-Saxon words mistle and tan, um, which loosely translates into dung stick. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> because they recognized it 
Like, and you got to think how many other seeds pass. Like, it's probably common knowledge that mm-hmm. birds poop out seeds. But this plant solely depends on birds yeah. pooping it out and then scraping it on a tree branch to grow. Yeah. Um, it was just, the name was very interesting. That's awesome. And now you saw those trees it was growing on. Part of mm-hmm. that's because they're evergreen and they're growing on not evergreen trees. But, of course, it's, it's a parasite. Yeah. So it tends to kill its host trees over time. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it is a very important source of food because it's an evergreen yeah. and because it blooms um, and, and the berries ripen late in the winter. It's a winter crop mm-hmm. where there's not a lot of winter food for much of your wildlife. Yep. Um, so we'll dive into some of the lore. There's a lot of it. It's very interesting. Celtic druids um, in the British Isles, what is now Ireland and Scotland, saw mistletoe as a symbol of fertility and vivacity uh. because of how it grows. One, because it grew all through. It bloomed and, and ripened through the harshness of winter. So mm-hmm. it just made it really um, vivacious. Um they also used it as medicine for humans and animals to treat infertility. Like, they really believed that it would bring fertility back to an animal and they'd start producing again. Um, and then they also considered it a all-heal. So, and I didn't look up the specific name the Celtics used, but I kept seeing where that the name didn't come from the Anglo-Saxon term. That was the most common reference mm, to yeah. its name. But I also read that its name comes from Celtic for all heal. Oh, okay. Because they used it for a lot of things. Um, the Druids also used mistletoe from sacred oak trees in their sacrificial mystical ceremonies surrounding the winter solstice and new moon. So the oak trees were really important to the Druids. And occasionally mistletoe would root, would root on an oak tree. It was very rare, but it would happen, and the Druids got really excited over this and yeah, yeah. used it in their ceremonies. I think they're the first one, like, they they used a golden scythe to chop it down, and then they sacrificed two white bulls and had a whole ordeal. Um, in Norse mythology, this is the most interesting, it's a whole little story. Loki made an arrow of mistletoe and tricked the blind god Hodor into killing his brother, the god of peace, Baldur the Beautiful. Oh. Ask the question. What? Why mistletoe? I, I'm just trying to picture these... Uh, All these characters? Yeah, I'm visualizing. Yeah, so Loki tricked Baldur's brother yeah. into shooting him with a mistletoe arrow and it killed him. Okay. So why mistletoe? Right. So this story is very similar to Achilles' heel. Yeah. So apparently, Balder had a dream that prophesied his death. And he woke from his dream literally thinking everything was out to get him. And so his mom is Frigga. And Mm -hmm. dad is Odin. Um, It said that he's comparably as strong as Thor. So Balder is Thor's brother. Something like that, yeah. Okay. Right. Then another then another version I saw that he was Thor's son. Yeah. Odin's how... grandson or something like that. Oh, yeah. But most of the versions I saw, Baldur was Frigga's and Odin's son. Um but, uh, anyway. 
So she, um, Frigga, the goddess of beauty and love, went to all the elements, plants, animals, everything in the natural world um, to get them to vow an oath to not bring harm to Baldur. Except the mistletoe. Because she said that she thought the mistletoe was too young to take that vow. Because oh. it was a new kind of insignificant plant. Yeah. Um, and so everybody just had like a good old time with Bowder's invincibility. They were all like throwing stuff at him. Oh, yeah. And which of course didn't hurt him because yeah. all these elements. But the mistletoe. Right. Had not... So Loki didn't like this. That this dude was invincible. It's Loki. Yeah. And so he yeah, he um, transformed and like this old lady was just chit-chatting with Frigga about her going to all these elements and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, you really went to all of them? And she's like, well, no, not the mistletoe. It just, it didn't, it didn't seem old enough to take this vow. And so then Loki went and fashioned an arrow out of the mistletoe and saw Hoder, who is Bowder's brother, mm-hmm. wasn't throwing stuff at him. He was like, man, why, why ain't you throwing stuff at him? He's like, well, because I can't see him. And I don't have a weapon. And Loki was like, well, here, I have a weapon, and I'll show you where he's at. you got to honor him. Everybody's showing off his invincibility. you got to mm-hmm. participate, too. And so Hoder threw the mistletoe arrow, and it killed him. Oh. Good old Loki fashion. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> and I'm just thinking now, like, can we get Frigga on the podcast? Why? She was a witch. Oh, she was. That dealt with she was plants. really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, we should do a Frigga podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously she was very sad, very upset. Obviously. Um, some versions claimed that the white berries on mistletoe are her tears. Others claimed oh. that her tears are the reason that the red berries of the mistletoe are now white, that her tears washed away the oh. red and now they're white. Um. But she was so upset that she vowed the mistletoe would forever kiss anyone who passed under it. As uh, long as it was never used as a weapon ever again. That makes sense. And there were other versions that said she was able to convince the other gods to resurrect Baldur. Which obviously made her very, very happy. And so she declared the mistletoe as a symbol of love and vowed to kiss anybody who came underneath it. Huh. So we kiss under the mistletoe because of Frigga. Basically. There were a lot of different origins of that tradition. And my guess is that tradition is so heavily passed on because it's so rooted in many different traditions and cultures um, and related to the mistletoe. I like that one. Yeah. I like that one. Um, The Greek goddess of nature and uh, the wild wildlife, the hunt, Artemis, she wore a crown of mistletoe as a symbol of fertility and immortality. Mm. Um, In the Middle Ages, sprigs were hung in entryways and in like barns and on ceilings as a way to encourage fertility and ward off evil spirits. Uh, The Greek hero Aeneas wore mistletoe to protect himself during his journey to and from the underworld. Uh, the Greeks also believed it symbolized male fertility specifically, and this is referencing how um, the seeds, one, they're white, two, they're sticky, um, <laughs> and they called it oak sperm. I was about to say white and sticky symbolizes <laughs> fertility. Yes, yes oh. 100%. 
Like, there were several references to the sticky substance on the seeds to semen. So when we say oak nut, we're not talking about acorns. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about mistletoe, apparently. Yeah. yeah. All right, then. It was also believed to symbolize peace and understanding. Um, and one of the traditions that also kind of came on from, like, you got people, you know, the opposite sex meets under the mistletoe and they kiss mm. and they'll probably get married. Um, married couples that meet under the mistletoe, they quit fighting. They, you know, revive their marriage. Enemies meet under the mistletoe and they're supposed to call a truce for the day and seal that truce with a kiss. And that sounds dirty, but you got to remember most cultures, like yes. even the French to this day, like it's just a greeting. It's not an intimate. You don't sound dirty at all. Yeah. Most people get like really immature yeah. and I thought I saw a glint in your eyes. I, no, I got more immature about the oak sperm. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was incorporated into Christmas decor around the 18th century. This was probably due to, um, the 18th century was about the time you had just this integration of all these different cultures mm -hmm. and the way they celebrated the winter solstice and Christianity coming in and the Roman Catholics and all this adopting, um, and all of a sudden becoming this global Christian Christmas celebration. Yeah. Um, all happened kind of around the 18th century. Mm -hmm. And mistletoe was such a, it's not really a Christmas thing, it's a winter thing. Yeah. Because there are these white berries. As are berries. most of these traditions. As yeah, there are these white winter berries. It sounds like the perfect winter plant. Yeah. Those are rough. Thank you. It smells like... Deep. Mildew. Nah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, so that's probably why mistletoe kind of made its way and just like the evergreen tree is used oh, yeah. as a Christmas tree. It's, it's, it's available. And so the mistletoe made its way into, uh, Christmas decor. Um, and then of course the Christmas, the kissing tradition came along with it, probably due to all of the lore passed on. Um, but it, it specified that this tradition actually started in the servant class, which I found interesting. And no other article or blog that I read really elaborated on that. But huh. I imagine that that is also part because these cultures, these Celtic cultures, um, that knew this lore and Norse, you know, mm -hmm. all these different cultures that had this lore behind the mistletoe and being kissed when you go under it ended up in servitude yeah. in European countries. Yep. Which is just a really sad tidbit to throw in. But it is what it is. And that probably has a lot to do with that being started. It was a way to keep their culture alive, even in servitude. And, of course, it did pass up through the classes mm -hmm. until it reached royalty, I think, around the Queen Victorian age. Um, and then, of course, it made its way to the States. and Yeah. Then we marketed um, the hell out of it. Right. Of course, the <laughs> custom became what we know, where men are allowed to steal a kiss from a woman when caught under the mistletoe, and refusing it was said to be bad luck. Though the original that was written in, um, was it Washington Irving wrote, um, was it Sleepy Hollow? Anyway, the book he wrote, he mentions, like, this 
this tradition. But he specified that the originally you had to pluck a berry from the mistletoe every time you stole a kiss. Uh-huh. And when the berries were gone, it don't work the no privilege more. was gone. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. You got to put yeah, some boundaries on it. Yeah, you got to put some boundaries on it. Nope, not anymore. <laughs> um, so the Greeks would use um, it for menstrual cramps. Mm-hmm. Pliny, the elder, noted that it could be Pliny. used to treat epilepsy, ulcers, and poisons. Um, it was traditionally used as a sleep aid to lower blood pressure, ease anxiety. Um, in medical herbalism, the science principles and practices of herbal medicine. It's a book, and I want it. It sounds like I want that book. Written by David Hoffman, he states that mistletoe opens up circulation to areas where it has been cut off due to tension. Oh, I need some. Um, in 1920, Rudolf Steiner created anthro, anthroposophical medicine. I meant to look that up, and I didn't. I'm sorry. A system using a wide range of unusual remedies and included mistletoe extract for injecting and is believed that is how um, mistletoe became such a big part of modern research, which I didn't realize it was. Oh, yeah. Um, but mistletoe extract is one of the most studied alternative therapies for cancer. Huh. Really? Yes. And um, there is an infusion called Iscador, which is named after the main um, compound in mistletoe extract. Um, and that is commonly used as an oncological drug in Germany. Huh. Like, it's a cancer treatment infusion um, that's approved and used and studied in Germany. Like you can you can Google Iscador and it's like a company it's like a whole I mean they've made it into medicine yeah but it's from mistletoe extract that's NATO yeah the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health and the National Cancer Institute have conducted preliminary trials to determine the safety of mistletoe extract um, as complementary with patients uh, with advanced cancer that's being treated with cancer drugs. Um, and they determined that the combination of mistletoe extract, um, like patients tolerated the combination yeah. of the, both the drug and mistletoe extract. Um, mistletoe extract injections are prescribed in Europe, um, where mistletoe can also be taken as a supplement. However, in the United States, it is not approved for any treatment by the FDA. <laughs> Required to throw that in there. Mm. Mistletoe extract has shown insulin stimulating properties in wow. rats with diabetes. Huh. There are studies showing that in both that it both stimulates and modulates the immune system. And I've heard this in reference to drugs. Um, Living Earth Herbology mm-hmm. discusses the difference between immune stimulating and immune modulating. Um, I think the biggest difference, like of what we most commonly know, is elderberry versus echinacea. That I think elderberry is immune modulating and echinacea is immune stimulating. I could have that backwards. Oh, yeah. But I don't believe so. Um, so the difference between stimulating and modulating is. Almost obvious, but then there's just, like, you have to really think about it. I do anyway. Um, Stimulate versus boosting, like, a different way to think about it. Or um, strengthening versus Mm -hmm. stimulating. Think of turning it on versus making it it stronger. Right. So, and I think that's, um, 
where the difference between elderberry and echinacea comes in is, I, if I'm not mistaken, echinacea is stimulating, so it's going to help turn on. You don't want to take echinacea all the time yeah. because you don't want to constantly turn mm-hmm. on your immune system. Elderberry makes it stronger. Yes. Um, so it help, helps you fight yeah. those things better. Whereas that sounds correct because elderberry typically on. seems right. to be a regular yeah. intake. Thing. So it's the difference between turning it on versus making it stronger, helping it work better, more efficiently against those things. Like uh, charging your battery versus cranking the car. Yeah. A lot of different metaphors I can throw in there. For, <laughs> I needed to try to understand stimulating versus modulating. And so I'm just helping you do it. Like you might know it, but my <laughs> listeners may need as much help as I did. I had to come up with all these different analogies to make it make sense. Um, so yeah, that's the difference between immune stimulating and immune modulating. A 2006 study on immune modulation used mistletoe extract and showed reduced immune suppression from anesthesia and post-operative stress. Hmm. So they used it on post-op patients and, um... I mean, put the stress on your body, you know, stress lowers your immune system anyway. Um, and then, of course, the anesthesia medications will too. But they gave this mistletoe extract and it reduced how much your immune system was affected by procedures. Um, the nervine quality of mistletoe has also shown promise with asthma because it calms the respiratory system and relieves bronchial irritation. Um, so constituents, there's, um, a lot of stuff that we have not really talked about, um, and that could probably be broken down into more specific, um, like glycoproteins, um, which aid in immune modulation, and then you could probably break that down to like specific glycoproteins that do specific things. Um, but there wasn't as much research as has been done on mistletoe extract, I didn't find a whole lot that broke down the different different constituents. Um, There are viscotoxins, Mm -hmm. and these are cell-mediating toxins, basically. And so there is a point where mistletoe and its berries are considered mildly toxic. Um, So you don't just, like, eat mistletoe berries. But this compound is one of those that is so key in its tumor growth inhibition. Mm -hmm. Um, So it inhibits tumor growth while also stimulating a cell-mediated immune response, um, which I know a lot of research with cancer is geared towards immunotherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, My Nana did that for her lung cancer, stage four lung cancer that had um, some malignancies on her adrenal glands. She didn't want to go through chemo, but she was a perfect match for Keytruda, which is an immunotherapy. And what immunotherapy does is it boosts your immune system. It's immune modulating. Yeah. So it allows your immune system to fight the cancer. Um, And so this specific polypeptide gives mistletoe that property as well. Um, There are lectins, flavonoids, um, and tannins, uh, caffeic acids, which are anti-inflammatory and highly antioxidant, um, phenolic acids, which are antioxidant, um, includes anthocyanins, and the anthocyanins vary by host tree. Um, Choline and acetylcholine 
which act directly there. So I don't think I got really confused and I went on a little bit of a rabbit trail. So choline and acetylcholine are neurotransmitters mm -hmm. that work on the parasympathetic nervous system. So I don't think mistletoe has neurotransmitters. I don't know. It sounds weird to say that that's one of the compounds. Oh, yeah. But it has choline and acetylcholine, which act on the autonomic nervous system, and that explains why it's such a good nervine to the point of calming hmm. your respiratory tract. Wow. Like, because neurotransmitters, they, they affect nerves, affect everything, and how everything in your body reacts. Um, and so its actions, it's highly nervine. One of the key ways that it has been used for anxiety as a sleep aid for menstrual cramps, um, for epilepsy, there were all these different ways that all kind of boil back down to how your nerves are responding. Um, now, one of the side effects is an overactive digestive system. It can oh, cause nausea, yeah. vomiting, and diarrhea, um, and those are cholinergic responses um, when you're messing with that choline and acetylcholine. Uh, system but um, it's nervine because it acts on the autonomic system and lowers cholesterol cholesterol levels <laughs> cortisol levels it does that too yeah. but lowers cortisol levels um, and I thought that was really cool going back to what um, David Hoffman said where he said that it opens up circulation to areas that have been blocked off because of tension. Oh. So it also is a hypotensive. It lowers yeah. blood um, blood pressure. Hmm. For, you know, all through history, it was also used to lower blood pressure. But not in a way of, like, affecting anything cardiology. But because of its nervine action and it relieving tension and opening up areas that had been blocked... And allowing things to function better. Kind of like the guy on that show we were watching where they fixed other things to make his blood pressure. Like it was more yeah. about relieving tension yeah. to allow blood flow. Let the scraping that they did. Yep. Huh. To allow blood flow. Because, and I mean, we talked about this with Chinese medicine. And I meant to look up, the mistletoe is important in Chinese medicine too. But I didn't look up the specifics. But it would probably have to be because it, of it opening up all that circulation. Mm -hmm. And just relieving tension that creates all these blockages in our energy and in our blood and it's such a big part and a lot of yeah. issues that we have yep. um so it's also antioxidant and anti-cancer and those two are the the nervine and the anti-cancer are kind of the biggest things that mistletoe's looked at you either looking at it research for its anti-cancer properties or research for its calming and sleep aid properties. Mm -hmm. um, it's also considered antibacterial and antiviral, anti-inflammatory, and anti-diabetic. Um, the best ways for us to use it, obviously we can't use it as an injection. Um, you're not going to go get an infusion of mistletoe extract. Um, but you can make a tincture and use up uh, one to four milliliters a day. Again, this is one because it's mildly toxic, I would work with an herbalist. Um, or, you know, a naturopath or somebody that can kind of help guide you on the right dosage and the right use. Like, I, this isn't one of those things that I would just go willy-nilly start taking yeah. um, without doing more research and working with somebody that kind of knew a little bit more. Um, you can also drink it as a tea. <coughs> 
And I did read on the Australian School of Herbal Medicine website, um, where I had read on others, other sites, you know, just make it in a tea how you would make any other tea. Um, but the Australian School of Herbal Medicine said that it needed to be made as a cold infusion because any amount of heat destroys its compounds. Uh, yep. And that makes sense. That's the same as what I'm talking about or not. Really? Yeah. Um, and then historically, berries have been crushed into a poultice or a salve for its skin healing. Again, because of its work on the circulation and tension mm -hmm. and opening things up and things like that, it's really good for skin healing. It's also an anti-inflammatory because of the flavonoids and the tannins. So it'll ha it has slightly styptic quality um, when used externally. Um, and that's mistletoe. Not nice. just a Christmas decoration that encourages non-consensual kisses. Yeah, well, I will honestly say I came into this knowing nothing about mistletoe. <laughs> and now I know. Now you know. Now I know. So. It, it had a lot to it. Yeah. It's... A lot more than I realized. I'll go back to what I said about the kitchen spices. If a plant has become a household name, there's probably good there's reason for it. There's a deep reason it. for yeah, it that we're just not talking. That we don't know. Right. Yeah. So, that's, so cool that's just crazy that like it i'm glad that it has such deep meaning because so many of the other things that have been related to christmas have not yeah. <laughs> peppermint didn't cinnamon didn't like they all just had very basic reasons why they were related to christmas and i don't know mistletoe has yeah. has got a really deep historical meaning to it and that's good. I'm so glad something that we're forced to kiss under. Mistletoe is more has... Christmassy than nutmeg and cinnamon. Yes. Yes, it is. It's just not a spice in your pumpkin no. pie. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I would not put mistletoe berries in your pumpkin pie. Uh, okay. Well, cool deal. Potty break. Potty break. We are back. Are we? We are back. I was thinking about getting a snack. Oh, well, too late now. No. Good news is mine's not super long because I got excited and committed to doing weeks worth of coniferous trees and they're all pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I don't even know where to go with this. So it, 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 I got at least one more week out of it though. Like so you, did the, you did Doug last week. Doug, yeah. Are you doing the spruce or uh, the Fraser yes. fir? Yeah, yes and yes. Okay. Um, You're doing the rest of... The conifers. The rest of the story. No, uh, I'm diving into Appal old Appalachia tonight. So you have spruce fir forests across all continents. Like different varieties, of course, of different spruces and firs, right. depending on where you're at. Um, an interesting tidbit, I put it in my notes, but I don't even think I have to read it because I studied so well. But um, Look at you. I know. Spruce fir forests, they're their own thing. Just like there's a longleaf ecosystem. There's a right. specific spruce fir biome is what they called it. Mm -hmm. um, and spruce fir biomes make up 15% of land on Earth. So it wow. is the largest biome well, on land. Aren't that, isn't that like the only trees that can really tolerate like a lot of your yes. mountain ranges? Yes. So you see tons of it um, in your mountain ranges and your northern climates like Canada, Alaska. Mm -hmm. Like the show we were watching in Alaska right. with the wildlife show. Yeah. It was, all you saw was... So it makes sense that there yeah. would be such a high percentage. Yeah. So in, in the U.S. you've got 
um, your Rocky Mountain Range, mm -hmm. extending up into Canada. Right. And then on this end of it, you know, you got them all through Canada. Um, then you have most of these trees, your conifers like your eastern hemlock and your red spruce are going to be native to um, Canada. And then you just see them trickle down the Appalachians on the very highest points and like the tip top. Mm -hmm. So not like throughout the right. Appalachian Range, but like the highest, the highest elevations. Like if you do Clingman's Dome, that is a spruce fir forest once you reach Clingman's Dome. Then the highest point in North Carolina, which is the highest point in the Appalachian, mm -hmm. um, is Mount Mitchell, which is right above Asheville. Okay. Right above Black Mountain. Which is above Asheville. Yeah. Um, that's going to be a spruce fir forest there. So, and the ones that are unique to the Appalachians that we're going to talk about tonight is, of course, red spruce, which does range up into Canada. Um, and then Fraser fir, which is only native to the southern Appalachian nice. mountain range. So it is like a very Appalachian yeah. thing. Um, so I just figured we would. Uh, it's also kinda, in my living room. Yeah. My Showy. cat really likes it. Yep, yep. Y'all, our tree looks so sad right now. <laughs> like, the top third is really pretty. The kids decorated it. I threw in some ribbon. We kind of threw the lights on there, so they look a little wonky, but it's sparkly. Um, and then the lights are falling off. There's no Christmas ornaments. I've picked the ribbon up off the floor and put it back in the Christmas box all week. There are sagging specific not just like all the tree being saggy but there are specific sections that are more saggy almost as if a creature has been laid there. on them yeah. and weighed them down um i have yanked cats out by the tail my daughter didn't like that um <laughs> it's almost over yeah it's, almost, it's over. almost over and we're gonna burn it <laughs> just like martin luther uh not inside the house, though. Uh, not inside the house. So, th w do we have to keep it up till no. New Year's? No. Because I feel like there's maybe a reason that people say that you have to. Well, it just ties in, like we mentioned last time. I'm sure where, it's a winter solstice thing. Yeah, there's a solstice thing. Then you have your folklore stuff. But mainly, you know, like the Russia and the Soviet Union. Um, even the Turks... Um, they celebrate New Year's with their evergreen tree instead of Christmas. So it yeah. just kind of, it ties the season together. Right. It's not necessarily, the tree isn't necessarily a Christmas thing. It's just a winter. A winter thing. Winter yeah. thing that kind of sums I need it out of my the, house though. Yeah. It's about that time. It's about that time. About that time. I, I'm really just tired of cleaning up after it and the cats playing in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so we're going to Appalachia. So let's get in our vehicles and get there. Okay, bye. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was actually air looking at <laughs> Airbnb, looking at Airbnbs today. Um, uh, we were supposed to be headed that way today. Yeah, yeah. So in Appalachia, you have quite a bit of conifers. I mean, you got your pine trees, like your Virginia pine, your um, white pine. But the ones that stand out to me are Eastern Hemlock, um, Fraser Fir, and Red Spruce, which all look very similar. Like right. a lot of people, including me, I'm still trying to figure the best way to tell them apart. The biggest thing is the Eastern Hemlock is going to be like the big, like you remember when we were driving the Blue Ridge Parkway 
and you could look out and it was scary as shit. Right. And you see the huge Christmas trees. And yeah. That was more than likely either, it could have been red spruce because they do grow up to like 130 feet. But your bigger ones are typically the eastern hemlock. Okay. Uh, so that's more than likely what we're seeing there. And they look very similar to and the spruce. So is hemlock also a tree? Yes. That yeah. is the name of a poisonous weed, isn't it? Or am I... No, you're thinking of something else. Because hemlock's a tree. It's a pretty... What am I thinking of then? I don't know. It's a lookalike for yarrow? Oh, might be. I don't know. I swear it's water hemlock. Might be. You're the you're the weed person. I'm the tree person. Someone in my mom was like, don't do yarrow because you can't tell it apart from the hemlock. Oh, it takes but its knowledge. you can tell it apart it's from the, the hemlock. Mm. Now I'm questioning if it's anyway, hemlock. These... Yeah, those these, are so cute. These are eastern hemlock pine cones. Oh, there's the, yeah. It's a big tree, though. Massive tree. But it these are and the size makes, of your thumb now. It makes notably quarter-sized pine cones. Those are adorable. Yeah. So we got, we got those, those from our, the botanical gardens, right? No, that's from hiking on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Oh, okay. Which, where we were hiking at is only like a mountain away from Clingman's Dome. So that was one of the highest points right. in the Appalachians, which is why we began to run into spruce and eastern hemlock. It is hemlock. Okay. Okay. Um, Like I said, 15% of the Earth's total land area is made up of coniferous forests, um, which is the largest land-based biomes on the planet. That's really cool. So land-based. So it's not going to compare right. to like the... You know, yeah. there's going to be certain sea biomes. And what a biome is, is basically just an ecosystem of living things that are unique to yeah. that type of ecosystem. Um, then, like I said, if you wanted to see some of these spruce fir forests in the Appalachian Range, there's several places that were listed in West Virginia. When you get to that West Virginia and going into Kentucky, kind of that state line, you get tons of really high points and then your highest points again are going to be western north carolina and going over into gatlinburg mm -hmm. so the tennessee north carolina state line so clingman's dome mount mitchell above Asheville, and there was one more point um but there's not a ton of spruce fir forests um just your highest elevation points i think that your growth range for the spruce fir is going to be starting at like 5,500 feet of elevation yeah. and up. So this like up there. And the Rockies but, are higher, aren't they? Uh, I believe so. As, like, Which is interesting because they're younger. Yeah. In general, I think they would average Their elevation more is, yeah. height. But I th I'd have to look um, and see. I would, I would venture to say that some of the highest points in the Appalachians are some of the highest points in the States. But I'll have to verify that. Depending on where you're at. You yeah. Know. Um, But, look, I even brought pictures in my look notes. Look at you. That is a fir forest. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they're looking like. So, they look like a vast sea. That's from Clingman's Dome. Uh-huh. Where you can look out and see the vast sea of devastation to the Fraser right. fir population. Is that over-harvesting? No. Uh, once again, we're going down the route of um, the chestnut tree. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the not as bad. There's more hope um, for the Fraser fir than there is for the American chestnut. 
So, I would hope so if there's one in my living room. Yeah, well, the same thing that is threatening the natural forest is actually a huge deal um, for Christmas tree farmers. And I read a bunch from like your USDA releases and stuff like that on how to deal with this infestation that's killing off the Fraser firs, which is posing a huge threat to the agricultural communities that grow the Christmas trees. Right. Um, which we're going into in just a second. The Southern Appalachian Spruce Fir Forest is the highest and coldest forest type in the Appalachian Range, like I said, thriving in elevations above 5,500 feet, so I was right. Um, the Spruce Fir Forest, and like I said, it is a biome, so it hosts its own little ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's going to be animals and wildlife. Your planta and your fauna are going to be pretty unique to those forests themselves. Um... It hosts, there was a couple of cool things. It hosts an endangered spruce fir moss spider, which is a tiny relative of the tarantula that's native to North Carolina, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, other endangered species. Don't spe- like that. <laughs> other endangered species is the northern flying squirrel that lives in spruce fir forests oh, and surrounding that's a cute. Harbor. Yeah. Um, I think they're mean, but they're cute. Uh, they're defensive. <laughs> Fair. They're defensive. Um, also, the preferred habitat of the pygmy salamander, which is one of several salamander species endemic to southern Appalachia. Um, there's some bird species going to include winter wrens, black-capped chickadees, blackberry and warblers. Um, one of my favorite bluegrass songs talks about um, warblers. Mm-hmm. So. That makes sense. Brown creepers, golden crowned kinglets, and northern saw-wet owls. Um, so they host, just like we've talked about with longleaf, how there's like things that thrive and depend on longleaf ecosystems. Right. Like um, your indigo snake and your gopher tortoise and your... Chantrail mushrooms. Chantrail. Red cockaded woodpeckers. Mm-hmm. Like those three wildlife are solely dependent on longleaf ecosystems. Yeah. Just like um, the salamanders, the tarantula cousin, um, they're dependent on the spruce fir forest of southern Appalachia, which is really neato. Um, but What did you call it? A moss spider? Yeah, it was a, a spruce fir moss spider. You want to look up a picture of it? I am. Our listeners should... S- oh, it just popped right up there. What spiders are your spirit animal? That might oh look at him. That's uh, a cute picture. It did say it was a tiny relative of the tarantula. <laughs> hmm. He's cutie tootie. He is tiny. Yeah, that's your dude right there. The spider was made for you. Nope, it was not. <laughs> is that how tiny it is? Surely not. It might be a baby. I don't know because that, I think, is moss that it's in. Yeah, it lives in moss. It said that it depends on the moss. It inhabits moss that grows in rocks underneath the forest canopy. Oh, so they are like teeny, teeny tiny. I think so because I think those are rocks that it's on. Oh, wow. Yeah. And like I think this is it in moss. You got to think how blown up this picture is to get the... Yeah, I'll definitely... I don't like that. That's not tiny. <laughs> That's not tiny. Post pictures for you guys on Instagram for oh, yeah. certain. Um, um, and then I'm going to quit looking at spider pictures. Okay. 
So, what is killing the Fraser Furs? I know we all want to listen to this devastating story. I thought you were going to say it was the moss spiders. No, because the moss spiders depend on the I know. I tried to read ahead in your notes, and all I could read was moss spider. Uh, no. Um, so the dead trees are the Fraser Furs, and they are being killed, uh, by a little bug. A little bitty bug. That was introduced. Um, no, let me see. So mites are gross too. Yeah. Well, one cool thing that I was reading about before it was kind of from the same article that was released by North Carolina on these Fraser fir forests before it went into the devastation of the Fraser firs. Um, was that the spruce fir forests were kind of left behind remnants of the ice age, oh. where the tops were exposed. Right. So they populated in spruce fir. And that's why you typically, in your more Arctic environments and your higher elevations and your more northern climates, see a lot of spruce fir because they're evergreens. They're, you're going to have a much shorter growing season for hardwoods that are right. not going to have time to thrive, which just blows my mind that ecosystems are like designed and placed like where they need to be for the thing to function right but it was apparently as the ice age like most of the appalachians were under water right. which at that point would have been under ice um and the exposed tops is where you have now your spruce for course oh interesting yeah. um then in the fall of 1957 uh the fraser firs on mount mitchell began dying and it was due to the balsam woolly adelgid. I don't. I tried to pronounce this word all day long. Yeah, I guess that's the only yeah. thing to say. Balsam woolly adelgid. Uh huh. Which is a small, fluffy white insect from Europe. Europe. Thanks again. Yeah. And it seems that it was introduced in. So they had this same infestation in Europe. Yeah, that's the uh, Hemlock Woolly Adelgig, which is a yeah. cousin, which is also Klingman's Dome released a report on it. It is actually a separate insect. It is. This one's from but Asia. It, yeah, it's targeting the hemlock trees mm. um, in the same way that the balsam um, Adelgig is attacking the Fraser firs. Actually, go to a website that'll tell you how to pronounce it. Edelgid. 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 I don't know. I like Adelgid better. <laughs> yeah. So the Adel the Adelgid was introduced in the fifties. It came in from Europe, and yeah. it, it was supposedly come in through the Pacific Northwest. Was it brought in intentionally, or did it like hitch a ride on something? I couldn't. I dug and dug and dug, and couldn't find. They didn't have it pinpointed to a specific yeah. thing. Like I can tell you that Kogan grass came in with Chinese shipping oranges, and it was padding the crates. And we can tell you that um, the chestnut blight came in through the zoo, where they brought in foreign yeah. chestnut trees. With this, I don't. It never really pinpointed how. Gotcha. It got here, but it seemed to have started in the Pacific Northwest mm -hmm. um, in the early 1900s. 
and worked its way first through Canada. And then from Canada, once it reached eastern Canada, came down the Appalachians. Yeah. Um, and targeted the Fraser Furs, had a very tough time with it. And it killed like 67% of the Fraser Furs wow. and the Appalachians. Um, but, it, well, it was by the 1980s that it had done that. So from the 50s to the 80s. Yeah. And as you can see... Inva- I was going to ask you what was the time yeah. frame there. Invasives work... With large populations of trees that are pretty widespread, as we've seen with the chestnut and the fir, um, that invasives that are introduced, whatever it is, tends to spread 30 to 50 years. It can spread yeah. like nationwide. Which is not long in the lifespan no. of a tree. Like, that's looking, our entire life. These but, are trees that live a couple hundred years. Right. So, um, really, that's very quickly. That's a, one a generation tree. of trees. Yeah. That... Or killed off. Um, I think it was by the 80s that it was 67% is wow. what it said. Right at 70% of the population. But the biggest um, benefit here, as opposed to the American chestnut blight, is it isn't a blight that's going to stay in the roots and continue killing back the right. tree. So um, you saw regeneration of the Fraser firs. So while it wiped out and decimated all the old growth... There is new ones that are naturally reoccurring. Yeah, and so we can learn how to so we're learning and get rid of them. Yes, without worrying about it. And they're already finding some ways around that where the trees might be building resistance to them, or like we studied Mm -hmm. with the Douglas firs, how trees built a defensive mechanism for certain insects. And that makes sense. It's just natural evolution. And it seems like the trees are adapting. The Fraser firs are having a much better time than the American chestnuts, which is why I said there's a lot more hope in this story. Right. Like the pictures look similar. Yeah. Of just like mass death. And I know it's got like economical effect as far as like our Christmas tree farms and stuff goes. Mm -hmm. But I'm imagining it not having quite the effect. Um, yeah. That the destruction of the chestnut trees did. Just yeah. because they were used for so much more. Yeah, and they're also, they're finding, like they're, you, there's a lot of conservation efforts that are finding ways to scout them and treat them. Much like, you know, our experience with the boll weevil, with mm-hmm. cotton. Yeah. I mean, that was devastating around here, which it brought in its benefits, like introduced peanuts to agriculture in this area. And the boll weevil is a huge thing in in our area. Right. There's statues of boll weevils. Um. But at this point in agriculture, um, they have dealt with it enough that now boll weevils no longer really a threat. Right. So they found ways in um, the Appalachians through scouting and conservation and treatment to remedy this insect and kind of keep it at bay and let the regenerated population of Fraser firs do good. Now, like I said, they are still dealing with it in tree farms yeah it's still something that is present um not that it's still devastating everything at an alarming rate but it is still something that you have to treat and deal with and you still fight um what was i saying oh that there's it's not that it's completely devastating at this point but it is still an ongoing effort that you have to battle uh, so we're at that stage and I would say within I think the, it's only been going, I mean, we've only been figuring it out for what, 70 years. Yeah. And I so, would say within the next few decades, yeah. it would probably be at 
the rate that we're at, it should be remedied. Yeah. Um, it is still just sad though that it is. Yeah. I mean, and this is all introduced things. That this is why I make TikTok videos telling you to get rid of invasive stuff and not to buy invasive stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I imagine to an extent it's also part of just the natural cycle of things. It to is. To an extent. Okay. It, it is what it is. So you can't go back and change it. But in an ideal world, it wouldn't have happened. But we can't deal in ideals. Right. Because the world, it is what it is. You got to think, even without human involvement. Bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. But, and I see what you're saying. Like an animal could have brought that over. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's you no way know. to know. But I do think some things are preventable. Yes. Um, yeah. And one way to prevent that is to stop bringing in invasive yeah. things. Uh because you don't know, and there was a big thing going around now. Native, Native Habitat Project talked about it too, and I've talked about it some. But if you go to any big box nursery like Lowe's, Home Depot, or any, like even our local nurseries around here, um, sell m the majority mostly invasive plants. Like I went to Lowe's a while back and could not find one native plant in the yeah. garden center. Um, that said... They're trying to market to this new native-friendly thing that's happening that I'm a part of. And they're selling sterile plants, which they've been doing that for years. They're saying this one's non-native, but it's sterile. It can't make new plants, so you're not hurting anything. But um, still not supporting the ecosystem. Like, it's do, still not that beneficial. That is a huge one. Um, but... Sterile don't mean sterile because guess what? One of the first sterile non-native plants that was sold in the U.S. was Bradford pear trees. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, and as we know, I could take you to. So how do you make more if it's sterile? Because it can cross breed with other things, or yeah. say you have somebody up the street plants a sterile variety. Of you a certain species, and no, it, somebody yeah. else has a different sterile variety, oh. and the two separate, the two different varieties cross pollinate into a new variety that is no longer sterile, mm -hmm. and then genetics, they, yeah, man. genetics. So, and that's how a lot of it happens. But that said, just I mean, native stuff's cool. Native stuff's more beneficial to the ecosystem. It's pretty. It's useful, as you've learned on the show. Um, it's more hardy, like yeah. all my native crap that I planted in pots and it froze for the past week. The elderberry trees are still thriving. Yeah. Like they look good. it didn't bother them at all. Um, so all that said to say that we have hope that the little balsam woolly adelgid is not running, um, Fraser fur. In the extent that the American chestnut blight killed the American chestnuts. But the dang Appalachians just had a hard time. They really did. Europeans yeah, were so rough large, on the Appalachians. That's a large chunk of Appalachian forest. Yeah. When you consider, like, I finally found some numbers. Like, I told you that the American chestnut tree was, was dominant. And by dominant, 
it wasn't like the only tree in the forest, right. but it made up like 25 to 30 percent of right. the Appalachian forest, which is that's over a quarter of the trees, right? Which is a lot, and it's the biggest, baddest tree on the block. So, when you take out 25 to 30 percent of the hardwood forest, and then you take out 67 to 70 percent of the conifer forest, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, naked mountains. Yeah, naked mountains. But the mountains will recover. They will be. They'll be great. Which, in turn, when you lose that many trees, gives way to erosion um, and a lot of soil conservation yeah. issues. Um, so anyway, uh, and then so your Fraser fir is typically paired with its. This little buddy, his brother on the mountain, the red spruce. Um, and that was what I intended to talk about tonight. And then I went down the rabbit hole of what the heck happened to the Fraser right. firs. Um, so red spruce is Piscia rubens and, rubens. and the biggest thing I wanted to know is how the heck do you tell the difference between a Fraser fir and a red spruce? Because... To me, I remember we was just starting on our plant journey when we went to the mountains and went hiking um, pa mm -hmm. this past June. And to me, they were all just Christmas trees. They all smelled like Christmas trees. And they had little bitty cute pine cones. Yeah. Like, that was the extent of what I knew. Um, but spruce, hemlock, and fir, just like I mentioned with Doug, he's commonly confused with a fir. Right. And he's not actually a fir. Then one of his nicknames is the something hemlock, and he's not actually hemlock. So hemlock and fir and spruce are all very closely related. Right, and conifers. apparently Doug is yes. also closely yes. related. Yes, and it, Doug's Doug. His own thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the biggest things is you can look at needle placement. You can look at how the needles attach to the thing. You can eastern hemlock tends to be the biggest, the granddaddy tree. Red spruce is much bigger than your Fraser firs, and your Fraser firs typically are the smaller. Mm -hmm. um, spruce, to me, the the twigs with the needles look more round. Like your your fur is gonna look a little flatter. Yeah. Like not as flat as like a cedar, um, but your firs and your hemlocks are gonna tend to have like a, a more flat needle pattern, where your spruce is like tubes of needles. Mm -hmm. I can um, see that. I, yeah. I get that. And Having decorated with fir needle yeah. for Christmas. And your your hemlocks and your spruces to me look more droopy. Like when they get heavy okay. in the winter. Mm -hmm. Like they just look like gnarly Christmas trees on the mountainside. <laughs> where your Fraser fir is going to be more of a uniform shape. A uniform um, conical mm -hmm. shape. And... The biggest thing for me so far, so if I had to go identify them, the first thing I'll be looking for is the cones. Mm -hmm. um, where the eastern hemlock is the itty bitty tiny cones that we have up there, like quarter sized. Um, and then your fir trees, I think I mentioned this last week, I can't remember if I had it right, but I do now. The cones grow up on the branch, so mm -hmm. they're facing, like pointing up, mm -hmm. and your spruce trees, they're pointing down. Okay. Uh and that's that's one of the most noticeable things that I've encountered. Yeah. Then from there you can look at bark and you can look at needle placement and how they attach and there's like all kind of little things to look at. But to me I'm just gonna look at the cones and she'll be able to tell it that way. So does a Fraser firm make cones? Yes. Oh cool. Yes. It is a conifer. Yeah. So cone producer. I mean I just never Yeah. 
It's a Christmas tree. I've never seen. Well, they tend to harvest cones. the Christmas trees at such a young age. Right. Um, they're not mature and gotcha. producing a lot of cones um, at that point. Uh, red spruce can grow anywhere from 60 to 130 feet tall. Wow. Some have been recorded over 150 feet tall. They can live anywhere from 250 to 450 plus years. Wow. It seems like all of your conifers are very long-lived trees. Yeah. Um, which makes sense because they thrive in like harsh climates. Yeah. So they're tough bastards. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, and one of the biggest things I've heard from spruce is that makes me relate to it. It is great for tone wood, so it's used in a lot of um acoustic guitars, violins, a lot of wooden instruments use spruce. Um, Sitka spruce, which is native. Not to the Appalachians, um, but one of the biggest things we learned when I was in aircraft school, we had to take an entire class on um, like wooden aircraft, like fixed wing, old mm -hmm. school airplanes, mm -hmm. and the preferred wood for aircraft, fixed wing aircraft, is Sitka spruce hmm. because of its durability and pliability. Yeah. And lightweight. In an airplane, you want a very that lightweight would wood. would be important, yeah. Yeah. So, so we did a lot of work. I, I remember that test answer to a T. What is the most popular wood in fixed-wing aircraft? And it's Sitka spruce. And that's my introduction to spruce wood. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. It is harvested quite a bit, but like I said, it's one of those that the throughout Appalachia, you don't tend to see a ton of over-harvestation. Um, I, I think that even once you got the Great Smoky Mountain, like the National Forest and the National Park and all that kind of stuff, they've done a really good job at protecting um, mm -hmm. the ecosystems, except from invasives that you can't control that come in from somewhere else. Um, but as far as over-harvestation and stuff like that, it's still harvested for timber today. Yeah, but it's more but, managed. But, it, yeah, it's more managed, and it tends to be used in, like, not framing of houses like your Where pines. You a lot. Yeah, it's going to be for musical instruments and yeah. airplanes. It's going to be more of a niche wood. Um, the long roots were pulled by the natives, peeled and split for lacing. Um, I would assume for, like, baskets or mm -hmm. tying things together. Um, shoestrings. <laughs> you know, got to put some uh, spruce in your knacks, you know, tie it up real nice. Uh, the pitch was used for patching holes and leaking seams. The gum was collected and processed for chewing gum. So it produces like a purple sap. Ooh, yeah. And even the, even the cones, when they're young and still like soft, like mm -hmm. fruit, um, you can see the sap and the resin leaking out of them and they're like a purplish hue. Uh, so it's pretty neat. That's cool. Yep. I like and I, purple. So what I was reading is that back in the old times, um, they would go around and collect this sap and you could actually buy like a that was your chewing gum in yeah. in that area. And you could buy it. People would collect it and sell it at the store and like a penny would get you like a block of spruce <laughs> gum. So cool. Yeah. Um early settlers and Early settlers used the fresh green foliage to flavor fermenting beer. I did know that. Yes. So spruce. You can make liquor with it. You can I hadn't make done liquor that with it. In a while. Yeah. Uh, spruce beer is apparently a huge thing. Yeah. And just like, because hops aren't native to right. North America. But what's the closest thing we got with a hoppy flavor? 
you know, your spruce tips. They got a hoppy flavor? It's Hops are a very piney flavor to me. It's a very citrusy, bitter, sharp. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not a big hop fan, so. I know. I know that. But I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> so, yeah, hops and all your pines and your green foliage off of your evergreens are going to have a very similar flavor. Mm -hmm. But now hops are more in the hemp family than they are in right. related. But as far as flavor-wise. Um, so, just like we talked about with Doug, um, it's going to have a lot of your same effects. So, I'm not, again, not going to go into a lot of the medicinally stuff, but it is going to be calmative, um, expectorant, and diaphoretic. The big and the most common uses for your spruce tips or fir tips or any of your coniferous for medicinal use is going to be for cough, um, for flu, and for vitamin C. Mm -hmm. That's your three biggies with them. Yep. Um, and the best way to do it, if you're going to make, you can take fresh spruce tips, fir tips, um, any of your conifer tips, and but they recommend making it into a tea. Um, because if you actually boil it, it's going to boil a lot of that vitamin C yeah. out of it. Which a, is one a lot of the, of the recipes I found were for making syrup, mm -hmm. spruce tip syrup. Yeah. And there was no like cooking or anything involved. Yeah. You just layered them in a jar with sugar. Mm -hmm. The sugar pulled all the syrup out of the tips and they fermented. Yep. And, and Yeah, that's the best because the more you cook, and that was one of the things with beer is the early spruce beer um, was actually used to cure scurvy. Mm -hmm. um, which, if you don't know, I just learned this, that scurvy is a lack of vitamin, vitamin C. C. Yeah. Um, you didn't know that? No, I didn't know that. I just oh. been the word sounds cool, so yeah, I've used why, it. That's um, why, like sailors and stuff would take a bunch of oranges because mm -hmm. they'd get scurvy. But uh, that that was what spruce beer was originally used for. Yeah. So let me see. I got his name right here. Uh, la, 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 la. Um, Jacques Cartier. Oh, good he, job. Yeah. He came over, and they were exploring the St. Lawrence area, which you Did you say Jacques? Yeah. Jacques. Oh, okay. Jacques Cartier. Okay. Um, they were exploring the St. Lawrence area, which is Michigan up near Canada, mm -hmm. the St. Lawrence River, which is Niagara Falls, flows into the St. Lawrence River, that area. And they ran into, they were having a bunch of men dying from scurvy. Um, and they ran into the St. Lawrence natives, which was the Iroquois, and they taught them how to make spruce beer to cure their scurvy. Nice. So the natives were making beer. <laughs> um, but it seems that the trend was that they were making spruce tea. Like, one of the articles I read put it as tea first, beer second, because when you ferment it right. and you cook it into a beer... It's going to remove a lot of the vitamin C. So your primary goal is tea. Then with the leftover, you just continue making that, fermenting that into a beer. Yeah. Um, so I if, can see that. if you're actually wanting high vitamin C contents, you want the tea. Um, then the beer is also going to have some, but not as much as the tea would. Um, so there was, I, I took, I did not put it in my notes. But they went back to Jacques, Jacques Cartier's, um, what he was drinking, and what he began to give um, sailors on the boat to cure scurvy. And they went back to the recipe that he actually recorded. And per 100 grams of the drink, 
there were like 50 milligrams of vitamin C, which is like half of a man, a full-grown man's yeah. daily dose of vitamin C. Nice. So it's actually proven in modern research to mm -hmm. these ancient old-time recipes that they were very um, yeah. useful. So, That's cool. Yeah, it's very awesome. And that dates back to like the 1500s when that yeah. happened. So even pre-settlement, um, he ran into some natives that were already making spruce beer. Which is pretty cool because a lot of people date beer back to like Germany. Um, Egypt invented beer. Um, Germany, the Germans love their beer. And oddly enough, despite what a Southern Baptist might tell you, but beer beer went away for centuries. And we only have beer today because it was preserved by the church. The monks preserved beer recipes and they were the only ones making beer for like hundreds of years. Nice. Yeah. So... Thank the church for your beer, <laughs> which is cool because Elijah Craig um, was a, a Baptist minister that made the first ever bourbon. He invented yeah. bourbon. Um, uh, Arthur Guinness that invented Guinness beer. He was a very notable Christian in the community that they were going, the, the Irish were drinking so much whiskey after work. Which whiskey was also invented in, it was invented in Scotland. But the Scots and the Irish are very whiskey-centric. Mm -hmm. Which is why they said, <laughs> I'm going on so many tangents right now because I love talking about alcohol. But when the, <laughs> when the Scots-Irish, the European settlers had made notes that when the Scots-Irish got here, most people, when new settlers arrived to the colonies, people would build a house they would plant their garden. They would build barns to store their things, get their homestead. They said when the Scots-Irish got here, they settled in the mountains, and the first thing they did was build a moonshine still to make whiskey. Nice. Then once you had the whiskey, then you could start building your crap. Right. Yeah. So that's them people. Uh, so is it the Irish in me that I am the most productive when I drink? <laughs> yes. Yes. And it's the Cherokee in me that makes me prone to drink too much of it. <laughs> um I come from both of those, so yeah, it makes sense. Um, so the Iroquois were making beer over here for centuries. I'm not right. telling how long. Uh, then Amelia Simmons in the late 1700s during the Revolutionary War, I got a record of her recipe on where you take four ounces of it says hops, but um, it was talking about spruce beer. So you take your your spruce tips, um, boil half an hour in one gallon of water. Strain the water and add 16 gallons of warm water, 2 gallons of molasses, 8 ounces of essence of spruce. So this is actually spruce and hops. Um, dissolved in 1 quart of water. Put it in a clean cast. Then shake it well together. Add half a pint of emptins, whatever that is. Um, then let it stand and work for one week. If very warm weather, less time would do. When it is drawn off to bottle, add one spool of molasses to every bottle. So basically the concept is water, spruce, Molasses. Molasses or any sugar mm -hmm. and let it sit yeah. and they ferment just like they ferment. I want to know what they were using. 16 gallons of water? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're making beer for... She was making beer for um, the soldiers. That was for yeah. the scurvy um, during that time as well. I containers they used. Much cooler stuff than we have access to. Yeah, we need some bigger containers around here. I guess a 50-gallon drum would work. you dang right. Yeah. Um... And that is my spruce fir, my Appalachian um, spruce fir forest tidbits. Your Christmas tree. Yeah, my Christmas tree. 
And, you know, spruce and fir are interchangeable as Christmas trees. Like, I think in the Russians and the Turks, um, with their New Year's trees, even more fitting, they tend to use spruce more so than fir. Yeah. But even here, you have some people that grow spruce. You have some people that grow fir for Christmas trees. Nice. Um, so Rocking yeah. around and New Year's tree. I, f- I haven't looked again, but the way we went to your parents, somebody, oddly enough, which is why it blew my mind, has a spruce tree by the road in Malvern, Alabama. I got to go check it out during the daytime hours. I might ride that way in the morning on my way to work. Take but a picture of it. I'm going to because I've never noticed it before. But now that I'm learning about spruce trees, we were on the way to your parents yesterday. I'm like, that's not a cedar. That's not a Leyland Cypress. That is because I had the round droopy. Like uh-huh. it, lo- it looks like a spruce tree. It could be a hemlock. I don't know. I haven't looked much into their elevations. Um... So I gotta go check that out. That's cool. Yeah. Was and it decorated? No, it wasn't. Man, if I but had it was a massive. Tree it's like in a. My yard. It was like a fifty, sixty foot tall tree. Oh wow! Like it was massive. Right so by it's the been road. there for a while. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um. Then I have learned, you know, you have conifers that aren't evergreen either. Like my favorite conifer is gonna be a bald cypress, mm-hmm. which I'll probably be talking about next week, just because it's my favorite, and I've dedicated myself to doing conifers for a little while. Yeah. Um, I was like, we can do conifers because it's evergreen season. Then I'm going to talk about a deciduous conifer next week. <laughs> um, but anyway, and I think they're the prettiest tree too. The, the fall colors. The first thing I started noticing this year was the bald cypress. Um, but yeah. You know what we haven't done in a while? What haven't we done in a while? Told everybody the where to find game. us at. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong guess. Oh, well. <laughs> We have a lot of new info. Some of it we need to update. Um, we've got a new sponsor. We'll be announcing the first of the year with uh, yeah codes coming next week. We might have mentioned it before, but it's coming. It's coming. We'll save that as a New Year's surprise. Yeah. But in the meantime, if you would like to find more of us for some unknown reason... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you can join the chat on our Facebook group, Native Trees and a Bag of Weeds. Um, you can email us with your comments, concerns, ideas, experience, uh, disappointment to treesandweeds at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find all of it, including the email address, at our website, trees-in-weeds.com. you got to flow better than that. I haven't said it in a really long time. I also hate it. Trees-in-weeds.com. And then, of course, uh, we're on Instagram. It's been kind of uh, quiet splotchy. over there for splotchy. a while. Quiet. It's not even <laughs> splotchy. It's just doing really good. And then we took a holiday hiatus. Um, so we'll get that back up and running and f- for sure post several of the pictures. Because I know we talked about a lot of stuff that you just have to see, um, including little bitty spiders. Little bitty bitty spiders. Um, and that would be on Instagram at ntbow. Or native trees and a bag of weeds. I think mm-hmm. you can look it up that way too. And of course, we are individually on Instagram and the TikTok. Yeah. Um, messy underscore living, no G. And I am your boy, Jared Wade. 
And you can find your boy Jared Wade on TikTok, your boy Jared Wade on Instagram. You can also search all those and Facebook if you search Jared Wade Native Scapes. Um, it'll bring you to all those on each individual platform. Yep. Um, and I, I, I tend to post, I was doing great on Facebook, um, but rolling into the new year, we're getting past the holidays, we're getting past the funk we were in for November, and we got big things ahead. Yeah. So. I got into it, I got into a funk. Not all of your herbal supplements are going to do you right. Yeah. And I was taking, um, saffron, and about two weeks in of taking it consistently, I had just like a depressive funk. And I don't remember why I got to thinking and, and stopped taking it, but within like 36 hours of stop taking it, I started to feel better. Are they good? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you've had the syrup. This is the first cherry that you've had. I just poured all over me. It's fun. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. I can taste the clove that I put in it. Me too. It's delicious. It's really good. Anyway, about your depression. <laughs> <laughs> Cured now. Bourbon cherries. Um, so there was that, and that was like a week or two ago. And then, of course, just all the holiday hoobla. Um, I got the shingles. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, too. Um... But that's fine because I have herbs. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly, they're helping. I didn't drink my tea today. Yeah. I'm a so, little itchy. So we're off the saffron now. Yes, we're off the saffron. We're a lot less depressy. I have a totally different story with my new herbs. Is I have been oh, drinking. Yeah, you found quite yeah. the blend for yourself. My daily tea has become um, wild sourced yopon from our farm. Um, then ashwagandha and Tulsi and a cinnamon stick every morning. And I notice usually from, this is experiential data now that it, I've also read in a lot of places, is that if you're on a regular herbal regimen for a specific issue, it usually takes right around yeah, two, weeks two weeks before you start seeing results. It has to work its way in. And... I have always been a procrastinator. I've always been just kind of know what needs to be done and just kind of put it off for later and just, uh. but since I have been doing the Yopan Ashwagandha, I think it's the big two that work well together, which are very centered on. One's caffeinated and they work on your focus and your brain, um, and stress relief. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed, um, a huge difference. In that I'm like, hey, this thing needs to be done. I better go do it. Then I, I found myself, it was after I cleaned the toilet, spur of the moment, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> what have I done? I, I came in a couple weeks ago <laughs> and the microwave was dirty. So instead of going, dang, microwave's dirty and shutting it and walking away. Like I have done. Yeah. For I got years. out of rag and some soap and scrubbed that mug. And it I got really nice. Yeah, I know, right? And it's like everything. And then finally it hit me. So it was like, I texted you a list the other day. It was like seven or eight things. And I'm like, hey, this thing needed done. And I just did it. It's been weird. Then finally it hit me. I'm like, oh, I introduced. Mm -hmm. um, I've been doing my Yopan ashwagandha daily for 
See, I would have liked to have had that response to, oh, I'm being more productive. What has changed? Oh, that's right. I added saffron to my supplements. Um, You get the opposite. No, I had the opposite. Um, I was the most depressing that I've ever been in my life. And I was like, man, what has happened? I am not okay. Oh, I added saffron to my supplements. And you see, ever since you've taken it out, you seem. Oh yeah, it was within a day and a half of my last dose that, like, I think it hit me like a light switch. Like, I know the moment at work that mm-hmm. it hit me, and I just well, you texted me as- at that moment. I associated it with how bad work was going. I yeah. hadn't had a lunch break. I didn't get a lunch break the day before. I at least got to eat my lunch, even though I didn't clock out. But this day in particular, not only did I not get a lunch break, but I was eating goldfish, yeah. like, whenever I could. That was, I didn't get a lunch. I threw goldfish in my mouth at whenever whenever I got a chance. These are the crackers, not actual goldfish. Right. So, and then just at some point, like, the, the patients just kept coming and kept coming, and triage was just nonstop rolling, and I usually tolerate it very well, but then all of a sudden, I was not. I was done. I was finished. Someone came and hugged me. Because we're like, Brittany, we're almost done. And I almost cried then. Like, it hit me like a light switch. Um, but then I think I left like a light switch too. And I finally, this that mood went on. That was a Friday afternoon. Saturday, Sunday. I think I went back to work Monday. And I was sitting in my car when I was taking my supplements and realized, I'm not going to take my saffron today. Yeah. And... I don't think I noticed anything Monday. I think it was Tuesday afternoon when I noticed that I was more talkative at work and feeling better. I think I told you mm-hmm. I was feeling oh, a little yeah. bit better. That yeah. work was easier, and so I was feeling better. Yeah. But I don't. I really don't think that was it. Yeah. It's definitely a saffron. Yeah. So all that to say, if you're going to experiment with herbs, yeah, let loved ones know, <laughs> and do so with caution and be very aware. Yeah. Try to, and it's very surprising. I've not found any research that backs that up as oh, being yeah. a connection. Um, most of the research that I found was talking about how beneficial saffron is to work with, like your antidepressants and oh, yeah. stuff. Um, but I guess whatever it did to my dopamine and serotonin, I didn't need it to do yeah. to my dopamine and serotonin. Um, I was, I guess I was adding it because it, it was recommended that I add. But really, I've been okay with the supplements that I have been taking. So I was mm-hmm. kind of trying to fix something that wasn't broke. Um, and I mean, it makes sense. It might not be a whole lot of research to back it up. Um, the one thing I do find with herbal research is there is a lot... Uh, I wouldn't quite call it biased, but there's a lot of research that looks to kind of prove their yes. benefit. And as so you, you don't yeah. get as much that kind of discusses the yeah. dirtier, dirtier side of it, the side effects and the bad. Um, well, because there's already stigmas but, on it by right. the mass. So most right. of the people that's in it, like us, are going to try to prove its yeah. um, not even effectiveness, but just it's uh what would you call it tries to give it a deserving role yeah it's benefit yeah so yeah and uh saffron is touted a lot for like um adhd but also depression Mm -hmm. and i guess 
just like the warning label on any antidepressant, it can go the yeah. severe route. That's just a, a warning label on any antidepressant is that it can cause severe depression and suicidal ideation and all these things. Um, so, yeah, definitely a little shout out that if you're adding something like that, make people aware, you know, surround yourself with definitely a good support system. So you got people looking out for you because yeah. dark, dark stuff happens. There's hotlines. Um, I don't know what they are. I should probably say what those are. My phone's dead. Never mind. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there's hotlines. There's, um, there's lots of help out there if you're in a dark spot like that. Um, but, but definitely be careful. Work with a practitioner. Um, be careful when you're, when you're trying different yeah, don't supplements go, don't go to, solo. Don't go to solo. treat anxiety and depression and things like that. Um, you you want to for sure be careful with what you're taking to treat that because you don't want to make it any worse. Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, with all that said, uh, nature knows more than we do. We just got to learn about it. 